Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome Rachel Shear. I will say that was also the point of my life where I felt the most empty. And I think sometimes it takes us having to get the thing that we think will make us happy to realize that it's really not about the thing, but it's about who we are. It's about how we show up. It's about doing the work. It's about being the best version of ourselves, mentally, physically, and you know what? If part of that is having a six pack, that's great. But I think it's always about being that best version of yourself. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Today, we have Rachel Shear, and oh boy, does she have a story to share with you. She is currently a certified functional medicine nutritionist who's doing some great work in the field of functional medicine, but she is a fitness model and a bikini competitor, or at least a former one. She was on the cover of magazines, Men's Health Magazine, some of the big name magazines, and all of a sudden, life came to a screeching halt, and she dealt with a ton of health challenges, which started with the gut. You're going to hear the story of how she went from being in pain to finding her purpose to finding her promise, and how she was able to overcome irritable bowel disease and other really serious conditions that the doctor wanted to actually take out her entire large intestine. Oh my gosh, you'll learn about that and what she did to overcome that. And thankfully she didn't go through with that. You're going to learn why treating symptoms is different than getting to the root cause. We discuss artificial sweeteners, low diversity in the gut and why we want to increase high diversity. How do you do that? We go over eight things that destroy your gut. This is going to be important for you to take notes on. Why it's important to focus on protein, muscles, the longevity organ in the body, how much protein does she recommend? I asked her the question, what's important, Rachel? What's more important, a mental six-pack or a physical six-pack? You'll hear her answer, and this is a fun conversation, so I can't wait to share Rachel with you. I have something exciting to share with you. We are going to be hosting another free seven-day keto challenge. And this is going to be our best one yet. We've done this in the past, and we've had people join from all over the world. And for seven days, we're going to take a deep dive into the science of keto, the science of intermittent fasting. But not only that, we're going to get into the carnivore diet. 
how to practice keto flexing for long-term results. What about insulin resistance and diabetes? How do you do keto and fasting for that? What if you're a woman versus a man? How do you do it differently? We'll get into that. And we have confirmed special guest speakers for this upcoming challenge. And I'm going to reveal them right now. So the challenge starts on January 9th, 2023, which is a Monday. When what a perfect way to start the year off with me and my special guest. So here are our confirmed speakers for our next challenge. We have Dr. Mindy Pels, who is a rock star. She just released her new book, Fast Like a Girl, and she's a leading authority on how to practice intermittent fasting for women, and she's gonna talk about that during the challenge. Our second speaker is Dr. Daniel Pampa, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, my personal mentor. He's gonna come on and talk about diet variation and fasting strategies, and he's gonna blow your mind and teach you how incredible the human body is. Next, we have Megan Ramos. Megan is a dear friend of mine, and she works hand-in-hand with Dr. Jason Fung, and she's gonna come on and teach you how to practice ketosis and intermittent fasting to reverse type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. And our final confirmed speaker is Dr. Boz. You probably follow her on her amazing YouTube channel. Dr. Annette Boz has been on the show before, and she's gonna come on during this challenge and teach you all about testing your blood glucose levels, A1C, what does it mean, how to uh, get the right test done, and how to use keto and fasting for brain health, and how to overcome addiction, diabetes, depression, and autoimmune problems. We have some other special speakers and surprises that I'm not gonna reveal yet, and we are giving away over $10,000 in free prizes for those who join us from our official sponsors. We're gonna give away six months worth of coffee from Purity Coffee, a Redmond's Real Salt and Electrolyte Bundle. We're gonna give away a bundle from Paleo Valley. We're going to give away boxes of good ideas, functional sparkling water. We're going to give away health codes, keto shakes, kettle and fire bone broth, kinetic exogenous ketone bottles, and pure form supplements, and a one-year membership to our signature program, the Keto Camp Academy. That alone is $4,000 in retail. So if you want to join us for seven days and qualify to win these free prizes and watch our amazing speakers, this is for you. Let's start 2023 off with a bang. Starts January 9th and it finishes on January 16th. All you need to do is go to ketocampchallenge.com. Remember, camp is spelled with a K. Ketocampchallenge.com or click the link in the podcast notes below and register your free spot. It is completely free. You have a couple of options to upgrade your experience. Other than that, it is free and I can't wait to have you on this challenge. It is gonna be our best one yet. And yes, you could join from anywhere in the world. It is not only in in the United States. You could join from anywhere. All you need is internet access and access to Facebook. KetoCampChallenge.com. I can't wait to start the new year off with you. Okay, let's have a fun conversation with Rachel Shear. Rachel Shear is a certified functional medicine nutritionist who received her degree from Baylor University in nutrition science and dietetics. Rachel owns her own private nutrition and counseling practice located in McKinney, Texas. 
You can learn more about Rachel over at rachelshear.com. Rachel Shear, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be here. I'm grateful to have you here. And I'm curious, how does a girl from a small town of Minnesota, correct, go from being on the cover of fitness magazines and now being one of the top health and fitness influencers in the world? How does that happen? Wow, that is uh, definitely a loaded question. Um, yes, uh, born and raised in Minnesota. Um, I actually grew up as an athlete. I was a gymnast, I was a dancer. So like fitness, athletics was always something that was incredibly important to me. But I'm going to be completely honest. Like I grew up eating like complete crap. I grew up eating like McDonald's, like stored Halloween candy. And part of it was just because I had like zero parental supervision as a kid. And, you know, that kind of goes into a whole other story about just like my childhood and the way that I was raised. But I could literally eat whatever I wanted, you know, and whatever I wanted as well, too. So literally, like a lot of my food growing up was just like complete trash. Um, but I was an athlete and um, that kept me relatively in good shape. And then I moved with my family, actually, to Texas when I was 16. So um, when I moved to Texas, I got more into dance. I was on varsity dance team, and I was always really, really fascinated by nutrition. And um, I decided to actually go to Baylor University for nutrition, science, and dietetics. And um, I didn't really know a whole lot at the time when it came to nutrition. I thought I was just going to learn more about like the athletic performance side of everything. And even in college, I probably still wasn't very, very healthy at the time. But actually, that's when I got into more of bodybuilding. So I was never good enough of an athlete to be like a professional dancer or gymnast or anything like that. So I go off to college, gained the freshman 15. And then while I was studying nutrition at Baylor, that's when I um, was actually dating a guy who was into bodybuilding and I picked up weightlifting. And that's really weird that like fitness freak that a lot of people see now today that was on the cover of like Train Magazine, bodybuilding.com like really came to life and I got into fitness competitions. I did bodybuilding for three years and PC bikini shows. And I was actually known for quite some time as Rachel Shear, six pack abs, you know, and like that was literally like the name that was given to me, like plastered all over these magazines. And I just was known as someone who could like maintain this like incredible physique for so long. So it started off as just like this venture of like getting fit and healthy. And honestly, the way I grew up had a big role with that. I grew up with, like I said, very little parental supervision. And for me, fitness was completely an outlet to escape a lot of like the things that I went through, the things that I experienced and a lot of that trauma. So I almost took it to a little bit of the extreme later on, which I'm sure we'll dive into a little bit here today. Um, but that's what really started me in the world of fitness and bodybuilding. It was a way for me to really see what my body was capable of. Um, I was an athlete, but I had really never experienced anything like bodybuilding and getting to that epitome of physique. Um, and um, it was something that I am incredibly like proud of today, but also it's also allowed me to look at health in a completely different way. It's an amazing story. Very inspiring. Uh, and I know that you were doing all these things on the cover of magazines. You were getting really well known in the space. And then all of a sudden, things kind of came to a screeching halt. And uh, 
you're at a moment where you are about to go to an appointment to actually get your entire large intestine cut out and you're actually gonna go through with it, but something happened that changed. So let's start right there. What led to that point? Why did you have to even make that appointment and then what changed at that moment? Yeah, so if you guys follow me on social media, I talk a lot about gut health and part of the reason is because I suffered with actually a lot of chronic gut issues. So here I am in the world of bodybuilding. I'm like the epitome of fitness on the cover of all these magazines. And honestly, everyone was looking at me as like, this girl is like complete health. But as I got into bodybuilding, you know, I realized that like, this really wasn't health, you know, being at like this extreme low body fat percentage. And although I looked physically fit from the outside, I was very much miserable on the inside. And don't get me wrong, it started as a completely healthy venture of just like seeing what I was capable of, which I think it is for a lot of people. But it was actually kind of as I got more into competing um, that my health started to really deteriorate. And at first I started to have hormonal imbalances. My thyroid took a massive hit, which you know makes sense when we're in this really low energy intake, our metabolic system really starts to slow down. So I started with that, had a lot of depression, anxiety, was freezing cold all the time. And then I ended up with a lot of these gut issues. And, you know, we can, we talk a lot about like gut issues, IBS and the severity of it, you know, like, okay, I have an upset stomach. I feel a little bit bloated. Mine were pretty severe. Um, mine was severe in terms of like, every time I ate, I was in massive pain. Um, I went to a bunch of different doctors. I did every scan. I did MRI, CT scan, CT, um, colonoscopy, endoscopy. I even went to the Mayo Clinic. And I was prescribed a bunch of different medications. You know, here's birth control for your hormones. Here's um, some thyroid medication. Here's, you know, take this probiotic, which nothing wrong with probiotics. Take these laxatives. But like, it was all just band-aids to what was really underlying and what my health issues were. So eventually, you know, I'm at this um, gastroenterologist office and my gut is so impaired, like the motility, meaning like the transit of food through the gut, my gut was like almost like non-existent. So they sent me to a colorectal surgeon's office and it was at that point where they wanted to actually cut out my entire large intestine because, hey, we can't use the restroom. That's terrible for your health. So they wanted to literally cut out the large intestine um, or they sew the small intestine to the rectum. I know a lot of details, but that was the solution for uh, fixing a lot of my gut issues. And I know not so sexy from coming from being, you know, on the cover of like bodybuilding magazine and train and, you know, being a bikini competitor. And now I have all of these like gut issues. And for me, I felt like I was completely betrayed by my body. You know, health, fitness for my life had been like, you know, what I had been focused on. I, I put all my identity in that. And now I'm experiencing all of these health issues. Um, I'm a nutritionist and I'm, someone's telling me that I have to get my entire large intestine removed. It was completely devastating at that point. And how long was that process of going on medication, trying different things? How long did you decide until you got to that point where you had to make a decision on surgery or not? How long did you do that for? Yeah, so that was probably about two years that that kind of went on wow. for. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a long time to go through that struggle. Yeah, and if you've ever experienced like gut issues, it affects 
everything in your life. And, you know, when I talk about God issues online, I get a lot of people who reach out to me and I'm always surprised by how many people do suffer with God issues. Maybe it's kind of here and there, but a lot of people with more severe, like functional gut issues, and it affects everything. I mean, your mental health, not only just your digestion, but your body composition. Some people have extreme weight loss. Some people uh, gain a ton of weight. Um, your overall confidence, of course, but everything is so interconnected with our gut, even our hormones, our thyroid, our brain. So when our gut is off, everything else is off in the body. Uh, so here I am sitting at this colorectal surgeon's office and they're ready to like remove my entire large intestine. And I'm at the point, you know, where like, you're just willing to do whatever you need to, to get better. Like you're so miserable at that point. And, you know, we want to listen to the doctors that we go see and, something came over me in that moment though and i don't know if it was like god if it was my gut but something just told me not to do the surgery and that's what actually led me down the road of functional medicine that i do here today is i'm a functional medicine nutritionist um, where i help people get to the root cause of their chronic health issues and I started learning a lot about gut health. I started learning a lot about our gut microbiome and if there's any kind of bacteria imbalances, how that can play a role, if there's a leaky gut. And a lot of my issues actually did come down to having a lot of microbiome or microbial imbalances in my gut. My gut was pretty inflamed. It was pretty leaky. But what's kind of unfortunate is when we go this traditional Western medicine route that I did, they don't often look at that. They don't often look at the gut microbiome. They don't look at all the different bacteria in your gut. What they'll do is, you know, they'll rule out anything severe, which we need. We need those people. Don't get me wrong. We need to go to our doctors. We need to get those things checked out. But when it comes to a lot of these chronic issues that are oftentimes very lifestyle related issues, people are at a loss and they don't know what to do. They're usually just kind of given a bandaid to manage the symptoms. Um, and that's what, what, what happened to me. So this kind of allowed me to take a, a deep dive and I probably would never study as much about gut health and like bacteria in our gut if I didn't go through it myself. And it was literally, you know, me saving like an entire organ. So I dove into learning everything that I could about the gut microbiome and how these little microbes in our gut play such a huge role in just our overall health. And it was through that, that I was actually able to get a lot of healing because a lot of my issues came from stress, definitely a physical stress, but an emotional stress too. There was some hidden trauma. Um, there was, of course, the overtraining when you're in bodybuilding and a very low body composition. And it's normally these combination of stressors, so dietary stressors, emotional, sometimes environmental type stressors that really wreak havoc first on our whole neuroendocrine system. So this is going to be first um, our adrenals, so we get large cortisol response. And, you know, from the bodybuilding world, we know like cortisol can be very catabolic. So it means it breaks things down. Um, but one thing that really takes a massive hit is our gut lining. So you can kind of think of it like bodybuilders. We do whatever we can to like maintain our, our skeletal muscle mass when we're dieting down to these extreme low levels of um, body fat. But our gut lining really, really does take a hit. And that's what actually can lead to things like a leaky gut. 
And if you guys have never heard of leaky gut before, basically we have these junctions that line our gut. Our gut's lining is only one cell layer thick. And if that gets weakened, damaged, or inflamed from maybe an inflammatory diet, whether it be from stress, overtraining, environmental factors, that can actually lead to a lot of these bacteria imbalances in the gut. It can lead to immune issues as well too, like autoimmune conditions. So first I have a lot of these stressors playing a role in my gut. It makes sense now that my hormones were off, my thyroid was off as well too, because all of that's down-regulated when we're in this very low metabolic place. And then my gut lining took this massive hit. And I don't know about you, um, if you've ever kind of tried to diet and the type of foods you pick, but when you're in the world of like fitness and bodybuilding, I was using like a ton of diet foods at the time. So I paid more attention to macros, which I always tell my clients, macros matter. We need to pay attention to them. Um, we need to make sure we're getting enough protein. We need to kind of look at our carbohydrates and our fats, but we need to also look at like what our food is made out of. And I was using a ton of foods that were even like artificial foods. So full of sugar substitutes that feed bad bacteria in the gut. I was eating a lot of foods that just fit, fit the macros that I was trying to aim for to get to a certain body composition. But I wasn't looking at food as information and how literally every single cell in our body is made from the food that we eat. And what's even more astonishing is it literally controls every action in our body. So that's really what led me down to the path of functional medicine. Now I'm looking at these things from more of like a gut microbiome standpoint. And I'll tell you, like it didn't happen overnight. I've helped a lot of people now heal their guts, just like I've healed mine. It's quite the process, but you know, over time I was able to heal my gut lining, reset my microbiome to the point where I didn't have to get my entire large intestine removed. You're a great example of the human body and how we're created to heal as long as we do our job and remove the interference. So you, you had a lot of things interfering with your body and, and the way that it's designed to thrive. So you identified the interference, you removed the interference, and all of a sudden your body responded by healing itself. It's, it's so interesting because I love hearing pain to purpose stories like yours. And when I look back at, at my story, it's, it's very similar with pain to purpose. And it's interesting when we look back in retrospect that we're given those mountains so we could show the world eventually that the mountains can be moved. So I believe when you were sitting there in your appointment or ready to go and do surgery and remove that large intestine, it was God, it was intuition, it was innate intelligence telling you maybe there's a different way. And now there was a different way and now you're delivering that message to the rest of the world. So I think that's amazing. And also when we think about lifestyle symptoms and diseases, those should be treated with lifestyle changes. Doesn't that make sense, right? Surgeries and pills are, are medications and short-term substitutions, but it doesn't change the lifestyle. So you got to change the lifestyle. Let's stay on the topic, Rachel, of the gut. I want to focus more on it. Uh, we know people who are healthy and live a long life have more diversity in the gut. People who have low diversity experience symptoms. They tend to have leaky gut. I would estimate that most Americans have some form of leaky gut. So what, what are some of your favorite ways to increase the diversity inside of the gut? Yeah, the first 
thing that we can do to increase diversity in the gut is going to be just through food in general. The more diverse our diet is, the more diverse our gut microbiome is going to be with the type of bacteria that we have in the gut. Uh, we actually do some uh, gut microbiome testing here with my practice. And it's really, really interesting when we can look at these ratios of bacteria in the gut. And we look at these ratios as something called Firmicutes to Bacteriodetes. And uh, I, know, I don't know who comes up with these names. <laughs> um, is that is that the the gut zoomer that you use? Yes, we use the gut yeah. zoomer with Vibrant. Love that test. Mm-hmm. Yep, me too. Yeah, and they've they've shown that when the ratio is greater than 0.9 with that diversity, that the bacteria can literally be making you gain weight. And before we even did this podcast today, I was looking at this study where they actually were uh, they took I think 77 pairs of twins, um, all of which that were obese for the study. And what they found was that when they analyzed the bacteria between the obese twins and then the twins that were not obese, they found a completely different diversity in the gut microbiome. So they've actually shown that more diversity in our gut leads to more leanness. And it can actually help us with improved metabolic Um, our improvement of metabolism, greater levels of insulin sensitivity as well too. So something that I'm always trying to work on with my clients is increasing increasing their diversity in their gut. Um, The first thing that we can do is feeding the bacteria in the gut. So these are going to be different types of fibers. So humans can't digest fiber, but the bacteria in our gut can digest these fibers. So we call these prebiotics. So we can think like probiotics, they're good bacteria in the gut. And then what we feed them, these are going to be prebiotics. And then there are things that these bacteria produce. We call these postbiotics, which actually that gut zoomer tests for some different postbiotics. And some of the most well-known types of postbiotics are called short-chain fatty acids. There's things like propanate, butyrate, and there's been a lot of studies on these short-chain fatty acids also and how they play a role in body composition, how they can also help increase leanness, insulin sensitivity, reduce inflammation in the body, um, and they actually help increase the mucus that lines the gut, which can be very protective with preventing against anything like leaky gut. So I'd say the first thing that we can do is increasing more fibers in our diet, different types of prebiotics. So um, some great ones I've utilized are like green bananas. Um, And people follow me on social media. I utilize quite a bit of green bananas, which they're very low in fermentation for a lot of bad bacteria in the gut. So people even do what I call a low FODMAP diet. They can usually tolerate more green bananas than the overly ripe bananas that are more spotted that have a bit more sugar in them. So this is a great type of prebiotic. Um, cooked and cooled starches. So we call these resistant starches. So like when we take a potato um, and we cook it, but we actually let it cool down, it creates some of these resistant starches that actually can feed some of these good bacteria in the gut. Um, And then things like flax seeds, those are great prebiotics as well too. You can take prebiotics and sometimes they put them with some probiotics, but I like to get it from food because we can just increase the type of bacteria in our gut by changing up the types of fibers that we're eating. And then we can also get a lot of different probiotics from the food that we're eating. And when we're literally eating an avocado, you can kind of think of it like we're eating the microbiome from that avocado. So the more diversity in the foods that we have, the more types of fats that we have. Um, These can be things like omega-3 fats coming from fatty cuts of fish, those avocados. Um, These can be things like walnuts. Um, 
all of these things will over time help increase more diversity in the gut microbiome. And I even know like bodybuilders like me, we tend to eat like a very, very much like, I think I eat like maybe 10 different foods, if that, even in my diet, which is hard. So you can easily kind of figure out a way to rotate some of your foods, rotate some of the fibers that you're eating. Sometimes when we're really busy, that can definitely be difficult, but I'm always just trying to rotate some of the fruits and the vegetables that I'm eating, trying to get in more fibers throughout my diet. And I'd say that's one of the best ways we can honestly work on our gut microbiome. The food is going to be the number one source of fuel for a greater diversity in our gut. Agreed. And, you know, it's interesting because it hasn't been until the last maybe 50 years or so that we have this new problem of people eating the same foods over and over and over. Even though you did 10 foods or so as a bodybuilder, I would estimate that most people are around that same number. They stick to the same foods. And when you think about just nutrition and diets and keto and carnivore, I think keto is great. Uh, of course, my company is Keto Camp. I teach keto. My shirt says ketosis. However, I'm not somebody who says you got to do keto all the time, especially if you're sticking with the same keto foods, you're going to decrease the diversity of your gut. That's why I teach keto flexing. We introduce high healthy carbs, we do paleo, we do different approaches. It's the rotation of those foods that create those different species, different bacteria, diversity in the gut. Hey, Keto Camper, I want to interrupt this episode real quick and let you know about a product I've been using to reduce inflammation and to get better sleep. When it comes to the CBD space, it is like the wild, wild west. And the company I've discovered is Dr. Phillips Formulations. It is pure, safe, potent, and yes, it's formulated by a doctor. They bring over 20 years of medical experience to their CBD oil. They have a proprietary formulation which combines pure, high-quality ingredients with the knowledge of a board-certified physician. They have tinctures that are internationally certified for non-GMO. And here's what they also have keto CBD fruit chews. Yes, they are keto friendly, they taste delicious, and they're a great way to reduce inflammation in the body. If you wanna get your hands on these CBD tinctures and keto fruit chews, head over to drphillipscbd.com. That is D-R-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-C-B-D.com. We will also put a link for you in the podcast notes down below. Okay, let's get back to this episode. So it's, isn't it interesting that we have this new problem of people sticking with the same foods nowadays? It is kind of hard because like we want to automate our food, right? As much as possible because now we're all busier than we've ever been, you know? And even when we're creating meal plans, like I'm a nutritionist and people want meal plans all the time. And it's, you know, what are the foods that we can just rotate between or can we eat to a strict meal plan? And that's what's hard about when we're following a meal plan is it's oftentimes not a lifestyle and we don't know what to do when we stop eating off this meal plan. So it's so important to learn, you know, the foods that are going to work best for your body. And sometimes it is following a meal plan for a short period of time. But at the end of the day, we really do need to learn how to eat and listen to our body as well too. listen to our body's hunger cues. And what's unfortunate is most of of the Western American diet, it's full of a lot of these, I like to call hyper palatable foods. They're the processed foods, they're full of a lot of sugars, even artificial sugars as well too, pro-inflammatory fats. And if we can kind of look at this from the other side as well, so like we know everything I just talked about, the fibers, 
a lot of diversity with your diet, healthy fats, proteins, feed good bacteria, increased diversity, we can look at the standard American diet, the SAD diet, and say that that actually does the opposite. It lowers diversity in the gut. It feeds bad bacteria. It increases inflammation in the gut, and it actually leads to things like leaky gut. And now we see all these metabolic issues, obesity, type 2 diabetes, and we can literally look at the microbiome of these people and see this low diversity going on. So it's oftentimes, yes, it's the good types of foods that we add in, but I think it's also too, you know, avoiding a lot of these hyper palatable processed foods that really wreak havoc on our on our gut. Um, industrial seed oils, vegetable oils, sugar, just all of those things we just we could really do without. Yeah, you know, and you had a, a, a little post on your Instagram, uh, actually a big post that did well, but what I'm saying is you had seven gut destroyers and you mentioned a couple sugar, vegetable oils, uh, and if you, but let's go, let's go a little bit deeper into each one of these and I'll, and I'll list them for you in case you forgot what you posted there. Uh, the first one was sugar, right? I mean, that's kind of obvious, processed sugar, you're raising glucose and insulin, anything else you want to add to that specifically? Well, bacteria and pathogens feed off of sugar in the gut. Candida, right? Candida. Yep. So I've had a lot of people who come back with candida. They thrive off of sugar. Um, a lot of other type of pathogenic bacteria, they thrive off of also sugar in the diet. We know it can also cause a lot of the blood sugar imbalances, increasing cortisol levels throughout the body as well too. Um, it also just leads to overall obesity as well. And we know that can also wreak havoc in our overall gut microbiome. So sugar, whether it's real or artificial, and I think that one's really, really tough for a lot of people to swallow because there's you know, so many diet foods out there. And, you know, I was the first one who had all of my pre-workouts, my protein powders. I was putting it in my coffees. And when I really look back and I look at it, it was like constantly throughout my day. Like these were staples in my diet. Like first thing when I woke up in the morning, artificial sweeteners. Before I went to go work out, artificial sweeteners. When I got back from working out, artificial sweeteners. And if you look at the side effects of a lot of these things, sucralose, anything that ends in ose or all, I always tell my clients to look for, you'll see side effects of bloating, distension, constipation, diarrhea, because just because there's not calories in them doesn't mean they're good for you. It doesn't mean they're still not feeding bacteria in your gut as well. Amen. And, you know, I saw a study that looked at, they were tracing where sucralose specifically ended up in the body. And they traced only 96.7% of it. So 3.3% was untraceable. Like, where the heck did that go? Is it accumulating somewhere in the body? There's also research that shows it could be insulogenic for some people. It'll cause more cravings. It could be a neurotoxin. So those are, those are bad. What are some of your favorite, not artificial sweeteners, but natural sweeteners? What are your go-tos? Yeah, I'll usually have some of my clients utilize monk fruit, stevia, if it's actually stevia, because there's still a lot of processed stevia. Truvia is not stevia. I actually used to have a stevia plant in my backyard. And if you get real stevia, it's green. Um, it's not going to be white and granular. It's not going to be in those little bit of those little droplets as well, too. So if we can get like real natural zero calorie sweeteners i'm okay with monk fruit or stevia those are going to be much better alternatives than things like sucralose yeah i agree uh and next on the list of gut destroyers is vegetable oils industrial seed oils i talk a lot about this i recently did a TikTok video a couple weeks ago about the worst cooking oils versus the best ones and it just exploded it has 3.3 million views somebody on a radio show heard me 
or heard the video from a friend and then they brought me on the radio show yesterday to talk about it. So this is a topic I love and I love that you talk about it. So why, Rachel, are these vegetable oils so bad for us, especially the gut? Well, they just create massive inflammation throughout our entire body. It's probably the easiest answer for most people to hear. <laughs> no, it's true. Is it worse than sugar though? Are vegetable oils worse than sugar? Yeah, because we can metabolize sugar. We can't really metabolize these industrial seed oils or vegetable oils from our body so they just kind of stay stuck and i run omega-3 omega-6 indexes on all all my clients who come see me and i will say about nine out of ten people are high in these omega-6s these pro-inflammatory fats that typically come from vegetable oils industrial seed oils and most of the time they tell me i don't cook with those though i'm not like at home cooking with a vegetable and i'm like you're getting it. You're getting it from when you're going out to eat. You're getting it from, you know, some maybe those processed foods. Um, people who not maybe aren't paying attention to like their salad dressings, com- commercially made salad dressings. You look at the back of them. They're, you know, using vegetable oil. You think you're getting a nice healthy salad with all of these uh, this fibers and these veggies, and they throw on there some chicken breast. But then you're dousing it in a bunch of vegetable oil, and it just causes massive inflammation throughout the body. Yeah, they're everywhere. They're ubiquitous. They're at Whole Foods. They're at most of your restaurants. What I do when I go to restaurants, it drives my fiance crazy sometimes, but I'm always asking the waiter or waitress, hey, which oil do you cook with at this restaurant? 98% of the time, it's like a soybean, canola, or even an olive oil that's cut with one of those. And I tell them, look, I'm allergic. My fiance is allergic to those oils. Can you use a real olive oil or butter? Or, or coconut oil, and they usually have that option, but you have to request it. So good job. I love that you talk about that. I agree, worse than sugar. You could burn off sugar. can't burn these off. Next on the list is medications. What does that do to the mm. gut? Yeah, birth control, antacids, NSAIDs. They've shown that actually birth control can deplete the body of key micronutrients. It can affect your body's adrenals. I know when I was on birth control, when I would do my testing, my cortisol levels were at like 50. And I remember the physician I was seeing was like, I have never seen cortisol levels like this high ever. It came off of it, went back to normal, got back on it. It was crazy high. And they were like, this birth control is just not good for your body. And that was one of the reasons why I ended up coming off of it. So yeah, birth control can wreak havoc in our gut microbiome, not only because of depleting the nutrients, but it can definitely cause an imbalance in a lot of that good and the bad bacteria as well too. And since we know that can cause a breakdown in the gut lining, leading to more actual gastrointestinal inflammation, ulcers even for people as well too. And then the other one is antacids. Very rarely do I see people who have too little stomach acid. Usually they have actually too much stomach acid. And then we overuse these antacids, which is a little bit of a band-aid to suppress the symptoms that people are experiencing. Um, But typically what I see is, you know, when people don't have enough stomach acid, they can't break down protein very well. And this protein can actually even begin to rot a bit and create the symptoms of having more of like an acid reflex. So we start taking more of these antacids um, and then this kind of continues the cycle. But we've also shown that a lot of these antacids, because they deplete a lot of our stomach acid can actually cause more of these bad bacteria and pathogenic bacteria to enter into our gastrointestinal tract because that stomach acid is needed kind of as a defense system as well too. 
proton pump inhibitors, I think those are one of the worst things that people can get on for their gut microbiome. There's a, um, a very strong correlation between proton pump inhibitors and SIBO, so small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And every client that I've seen who's come in with a proton pump inhibitor that they've been on, normally one, they've been on it for like years and they can't even get off of it anymore. And they used to even have a black box warning for proton pump inhibitors with doctors like don't put people on it for longer than a week. Now people are just on them for life and they struggle to even get off of them because everything's just like completely off when they do try and they get way too much than stomach acid production. But these proton pump inhibitors also lead to a lot of bacteria overgrowth. So now not only do they have the stomach acid issue, they're now also dealing with a lot of this bacteria overgrowth in their small intestine as well. Yeah, well said. So the next one on the list is stress. And we know you talked about it already, but stress comes in three areas, mental, emotional, physical, chemical. But what role does stress play on that gut? Yeah, I'd say it plays a big role by causing us to be more in that catabolic state that I was talking about. Um, So we're in that sympathetic state, fight or flight, our digestive system completely shuts down as well. So we're either going to hold on to all of our food or we're going to completely expel it. So when our digestive system is not really working because we're in the stress state, this can lead to a lot of that bacteria overgrowth as well, slow motility in the gut. Um, and that over time can just lead to a lot of those microbial imbalances as well. So stress is normal. We're all going to experience stress. Um, when you're working out, you're under a very short stressor. But this is more for people who are like chronically under stress every single day. Cortisol levels are always high. Their digestive systems are always shut down. Um, and they're dealing with sometimes constipation, diarrhea. Um, and that's when really that stress can lead to a lot of those functional gut issues. Yeah. And stress is good to your point, you know, hormesis, hormetic stress, you have this hormetic ceiling, but everybody has a different ceiling. So you might add working out to a person who's already highly stressed out from different areas. And all of a sudden that curve drops and you start to get more symptoms. So everybody needs, needs to know their hormetic curve and their hormetic ceiling, and then make sure you kind of stay in that zone, uh, which is really interesting. So I love that. And then on the next topic here, or the next one on the list is unresolved trauma, which can kind of be in that stress category. But you mentioned you had some unresolved trauma that you you dealt with. So what are some strategies to deal with that? Well, I will say first, um, they've shown that people who've gone through trauma actually have something called a low vagal tone. So we have something called our vagus nerve, which connects our brain all the way down to our gut. And this is why we have a gut-brain connection and why when we go through periods of stress, our gut is affected, or even when our gut is off, we've seen it can definitely affect our neurological function as well too. So they've shown that people who have a history of trauma, especially unresolved trauma that they haven't really worked through that actually can stay dormant in the body. And one of the ways that it's manifested is by a poor vagal tone, so poor gut-brain connection. And they've shown that a poor vagal tone is one of the number one causes for SIBO or small intestinal bacteria overgrowth as well too. So this is why working through, you know, the things that maybe we've 
gone through our childhood trauma is really, really important. Um, I've read the book, How to Do the Work by the Holistic Psychologist. I'm a huge fan of her. She talks a lot about vagal tone, talks a lot about trauma, how to understand these trauma, because sometimes they're not even like major life events, but they're things that have really shaped the way that we think, have shaped the way we show up in relationships as well too. So I'm always encouraging my clients to do the work, you know, work with the professional, um, whether that's working with a coach, whether that's going to see a psychologist, um, whether that's doing the work on their own to really try to understand how some of these emotional traumas could be playing a role in their overall health. And it's by no coincidence that usually most people who see psychologists or psychiatric physicians usually are dealing with IBS, gut issues, or even autoimmune conditions as well, too, because our gut and our brain are so interconnected. Yeah, well said. I got to read that book. I like her work, too. I follow her on Instagram. There's also a good book, um, The Body Keeps the Score, very similar. Mm, I've heard of that one, yes. Yeah, that's a classic. Sugar substitutes, we already spoke about that. We'll skip that, but let's get to the next one, dairy and wheat. So I'm assuming you're talking about cow dairy, and uh, what are the issues with that and gluten? Yeah, so, well, for people who already suffer with gut issues, most of us can't really break down lactose. And when we're a baby, we have the enzymes to break down lactose because we're drinking our mother's milk. But actually, when we get older, um, actually over half of the population loses those enzymes to even break down lactose. So one, we really can't digest it very well, which can oftentimes manifest by feeding different types of bacteria in our gut. So that's one way. So I usually try to do an elimination diet with a lot of people by removing dairy. Um, it's also very fermentable to gut bacteria. So when people go on like a low FODMAP diet who suffer with irritable bowel syndrome, one of the first things that they pull out is lactose because it is fermentable. It's a disaccharide and it can also feed some of that bacteria in our gut microbiome. So I think gluten and wheat just wreaks havoc on our gut microbiome. It triggers a lot of gastrointestinal inflammation. They've shown that gluten specifically breaks down that gut lining and leads to things like leaky gut, intestinal permeability, which over time can affect our gut microbiome, even our neurological health as well too. So it's a pro-inflammatory food and especially when it's hyper-processed as well. So I'd say like in terms of pulling out wheat and gluten from our diet, especially if you're someone who does suffer with gut issues, um, that's a really great place to start. Yeah, great. Well said. And you, the last one here is raw diet. So what do you mean by that? Eating just a lot of raw vegetables or what do you mean? I'd say in particular, yes, raw vegetables. So a lot of roughage. So a lot of like raw broccoli. Um, you can kind of think of it like a lot of the insoluble fiber. So like kind of think of it like an apple um, it'd be the outside of the apple versus the soluble fiber would be more of the inside of that apple. If you're somebody who already has some gastrointestinal inflammation, it's going to kind of be like sandpaper in your gut as you're trying to digest some of those foods. So I'd say too much roughage can not be so good for the gut microbiome. And it's really, really hard for your body to really break down a lot of those foods. So we do need to cook our foods. There are some foods that we don't need to cook that don't have a whole lot of that insoluble fiber in it, that whole lot of that but you're not going to want to sit and eat like a bunch of like raw Brussels sprouts. It's going to be really, really hard for your gut to break that down. So we need to kind of help it out, make sure we're chewing our food. They actually say that our food should be the consistency of baby food before we swallow it. I got work um, to do on that. <laughs> 
I don't know about, yeah, I definitely don't. And most of us don't chew our food probably enough, but that's also why it is important to make sure our food is, you know, already in a place where it's going to be easily digestible as well. Fermented foods are actually kind of pre-digested as well. So if you're somebody who has gut issues, you can always try adding in some fermented foods, sauerkrauts. Some people can tolerate yogurts, even though there's some dairy in it, but you can actually get some lactose-free fermented yogurts, kefir, that some people tolerate. I kind of think it's very independent to that person, though, of course. But adding in some fermented foods is a great way to also get some of these pre-digested foods, but also they're good bacteria that you can add to your gut microbiome. Yeah. And you could always have like sheep yogurt or a goat yogurt. Those are much more safer than, than cow. Uh, I, I agree. And you know, if you have leaky gut and if you have autoimmune disease and you're eating a lot of these raw spinach, raw kale, high oxalate, anti-nutrient vegetables, that might also be an issue. So yeah, by cooking them, steaming them, that could break down some of those uh, oxalates and anti-nutrients. So I like that, that's a great idea. Allow me to take a moment to talk to you about this metabolic wellness drink called Good Idea. I've been using Good Idea and the taste is great, but more importantly, I love that it's made with clean ingredients that has been tested and proven effective in clinical trials. Good Idea contains a unique blend of amino acids and chromium picolinate that have been shown to reduce the blood sugar response to meals. As we know, balanced blood sugar means better energy, less cravings, improved metabolism, and a better mood. It's all about postprandial glucose, meaning how well controlled is your glucose after eating a meal. The taste of Good Idea is mild and refreshing, kind of like lighter sparkling water. I personally can't get enough of it. Me and my fiance Natasha go through cases every single month. And the great thing about the good folks over at Good Idea is that they gave me a promo code for Keto Camp Podcast listeners. So if you head to goodidea.us and use the coupon code KETOCAMP at checkout, you'll get 10% off your Good Idea drinks. That is K-E-T-O-K-A-M-P, no space in between. Go to goodidea.us or click the link down below and it would be a good idea to go get your good idea. So on the topic of the gut, we covered a lot there and I know that the podcast is my podcast is primarily focused on keto and fasting. So everything that Rachel just spoke about can be applied to keto and fasting. To A case in point to what you said is I have some of my students inside of my uh, Keto Camp Academy. Sometimes they'll hit a weight loss plateau two months in, three months in, and I'll either tell them, hey, it's time to start flexing out of ketosis, or if you find yourself, I'll ask them, what do you eat on a daily basis? And they usually stick with the same eight to 10 foods like you were doing, all keto friendly. I say, okay, let's switch your eight to 10 keto foods that you're eating right now to eight to 10 different keto foods. And just by doing that, they'll break through a weight loss plateau because they'll change their bacteria uh, ratios to what you were saying earlier. So any last things on the gut before we transition to a new topic here? I would say just that like gut health is one of the most important things that you're becoming much more well versed in. Um, I was actually uh, researching a little bit before our uh, podcast here today. And I don't know if you've dove into learning about Archimansia at all, but it's a type of bacteria that resides in their gut. And they actually look for it on the gut zoomer. But so fascinating. Um, they've actually done a few different studies with looking at Archimansia and how that actually can play a role with helping people also with insulin sensitivity 
losing weight and they actually were supplementing people with archimancia in terms of a probiotic. And I think they increased their fat loss from about uh, three to 4% body fat in just six weeks by supplementing with things like archimancia. So it's just like the power of our gut microbiome. And I'll say it, it's so much more than just calories in and calories out. I don't know how many times I've heard just eat less and work out more. And that's seen- crazy for a, for a fitness person to say that Rachel. I oh know, my gosh. I know. And trust me, I used to think that way. And <laughs> me too. Until- me too. Right. You know, Um, but then why is it that like so many people, you know, struggle to lose weight? I've had so many of those clients who are following the right macros, who are doing the work, but they just can't make progress. And sometimes it can come down to literally things like our gut microbiome. So I'd say if if we can focus on having a healthy gut microbiome, everything else will fall into place. Yeah, and you know what else helps increase acromantia is the way I said. I don't know if you're saying it right or if I'm saying it wrong, but one of us is saying it wrong and right. (laughs) Uh, Fasting. Fasting has actually been known to stress the gut and actually build acromantia or however you say it. So super fascinating. And it's interesting that you came, you've come a long way because I'm like you. I used to believe calories in versus calories out. And we're not calorie deniers. Of course, calories are important, but there's more important things out there. Or I should say calories matter, but there are more important things other than calories. I interviewed a gentleman recently, a colleague of mine, Dr. Don Klum. He shared research with me that people who are happier burn more calories on a daily basis than people who are depressed. People who have different gut bacteria, to your point, burn more calories than people who don't have that specific or not enough of that bacteria. So it's just a huge distraction and it it, it confuses the person and it's not getting to the root cause of why they're not getting well. So I love that. Next topic is something that you're well versed in and that is protein muscle longevity. I used to have a stance on protein a couple years ago that we want to limit the protein, mod, you know, make sure you don't have too much, focus on fat, 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 you know, too much will kick you out of ketosis. And I have since changed my stance. Now, in the beginning, I focus on fat, but then after a person gets into ketosis, I have them actually take down the fat and prioritize protein. I think protein is the number one thing we should prioritize. I know you're a big fan of protein. So why is protein so important? Why is building lean muscle mass important for longevity? So... I'll first start with just like the thermic effect of food with protein in general. And the thermic effect of food basically just means how many calories we utilize in the digestive process of these foods. So protein actually has a 30% of the thermic effect of food versus carbohydrates is about five to 10%, depending on how much fiber is in it. That is about zero to 3%. So if our goal is fat loss, just by having a high protein diet in general, we are going to burn more fat in the process. Protein is also very satiating. It makes us feel full. It makes it feel satisfied. Also, we see protein also in combination with fats typically in nature. And when we combine protein with fats, it adds to a lot of satiety. I've never eaten a steak and then been like, oh my gosh, like I'm so hungry and eating more. You'll eat that steak and you'll enjoy it until you feel full and you feel satisfied. Now give someone a bunch of carbohydrates, give them like things like popcorn that don't have adequate proteins, even some of those healthy fats, we will literally override our body's hunger cues and keep eating it. So the first thing is the thermic effect of food just with protein in general. 
we're going to burn more in just that overall digestive process. Um, we feel more satiated. We feel more full and satisfied when we eat protein. But protein is incredibly important for our skeletal muscle mass. And I think that's the number one reason why protein is so important. And coming from the bodybuilding world, we tend to look at muscle as just, you know, physique. It's the way we look. We have a bigger booty. I was all for the booty building. It's for having that six pack abs, or it's just for locomotion. But skeletal muscle mass does so much more than just local motion. Um, it literally helps us with glucose disposal. So if you're someone who is um, has high insulin, we need to increase our skeletal muscle mass. And normally what I see with the epidemic of obesity, it's not always that that person has too much fat. It's often that they're under muscled. So it's really an epidemic of low skeletal muscle mass that we are dealing with. And when we don't have adequate skeletal muscle mass, we have higher levels of blood sugar, higher levels of insulin. And the skeletal muscle mass also helps keep inflammation low throughout the body. So we can also say that muscle is anti-inflammatory. And if we look at the number one reason why people end up in nursing homes, it's for sarcopenia. So it's for loss of skeletal muscle mass. So we need to stop honestly looking at this as a, you know, uh, too much fat, too much calories. We need to start looking at it as, okay, what is the quality of the food? Are we getting adequate protein? Are we emphasizing having more skeletal muscle mass? And I think that kind of goes into, are we looking at this from what's the problem, but what's the solution? The solution honestly is emphasizing more of these right types of foods, having higher quality protein, um, increasing skeletal muscle mass throughout the body. And that's going to fix a lot of issues because I can help somebody lose fat who has good skeletal muscle mass. What is so hard to do is when I get a client who comes in and they're 15 pounds deficient in skeletal muscle mass, it's usually like a woman uh, who's like in age 50, she's postmenopausal, she's had a very low calorie, low protein diet, has done zero resistance training. And yeah, she has some extra fat on her body and she's like, help me lose weight. And what she really needs to do is focus on building some skeletal muscle mass to fix the issue. So it's not a problem that she's really over fat. It's really a problem often that we're under muscle. Well said. What is your recommendation for protein? I know it'll depend on your age and different factors, but in general, what do you recommend for protein daily? I typically do one gram per pound of lean body mass, but I've also spoken with Dr. Gabriel Lyon. Um, and she is the expert when it comes to what we call muscle-centric medicine. And she tends to emphasize one gram per pound of ideal body weight, which can actually be a little bit of a higher intake of protein in the diet as well, too. So um, I'd say anywhere around then, but if you're aiming for at least one gram per pound of lean body weight, if you're aiming for one gram per pound of ideal body weight, you're going to be roughly in that right range. Awesome. Now, next question is this. What is more important, Rachel, a physical six-pack or a mental six-pack? <laughs> I will say um, definitely a mental six-pack for sure because having a six-pack, I will say that was also the point in my life where I felt the most empty. And I think sometimes it takes us having to get the thing that we think will make us happy to realize that it's really not about the thing. 
but it's about who we are. It's about how we show up. It's about doing the work. It's about being the best version of ourselves mentally, physically. And you know what? If part of that is having a six pack, that's great. But I think it's always about being that best version of yourself. Seeing what your body is capable of is great, but always doing things that are going to promote your overall mental health and well-being. So I will always go back to, yeah, definitely mental six pack for sure. Agreed. Agreed. A hundred percent. You know, being in the online world like you, having big platforms, I know you see it like I do. There's a lot of people out there who are very hateful with comments, nasty comments come in from time to time. I see it often. So I want to hear kind of your thoughts on how maybe you used to handle that. Maybe those comments kind of penetrated you and it would, you would be sad about that or you would respond versus where you are today and a, and a hateful comment comes in. How did you used to respond to them? And then how do you respond to them today? Yeah, so I used to take it quite hard. You know, when you have a large social media following, which I have about a quarter of a million people who follow me online. And honestly, most of the people who began following me followed me for Rachel Shears, six pack ads. But you get a lot of people who do like to put you down. They like to criticize you. And what I've learned is it's usually not about me. It's usually not about the person who's being criticized, but it says more about them. And honestly, like people can, you know, shame, they can talk, they can say all these things. But when you are living your God-given potential, when you're standing up for the things that you believe in, there is nobody else that can make me feel bad for the things that I do on a day-to-day basis. So for now, how, how I show up is I look at those people as like, You know, that says more about what they're going through, what they're having to walk through. And honestly, when we judge other people, it says more about them than it does say about us. So being in the world of social media, being in the spotlight, it is something that we see quite a bit. People who want to put you down, people who want to criticize you, but you have to know undoubtedly who you are and what you stand for. And if you do, I mean, that's something that nobody else can take away from you. And I know that I get to wake up every single day and literally live my purpose through what I do. I get to live my purpose through helping people with nutrition. I get to help people get to the root cause of their chronic health concerns. So even like the naysayers can't even hinder me from showing up and doing the things that I love. That's a great answer. And I asked you that question because I wanted the audience to hear that and relate it to their own journey. When somebody starts to do keto or do intermittent fasting or they're making changes in general, the people who don't change, they're a threat now or you are a threat to the people who are not changing. It kind of points a mirror to them and it could be a family member or friend. But when you're confident like Rachel is, it's because you're competent and you've studied and you understand it and you're living your purpose like Rachel just said. So for those changing their health habits, changing their ways, and you see those comments come in, whether it's a social media comment or a family member in person, just keep living yourself, your your purpose and living on purpose with that purpose and just let it deflect off of you. It says more about the person than it does about you and nobody's living your life. And the truth of the matter is that the number one regret of people on their deathbed, according to a great book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, is not living a life true to your purpose, but living a life of what others expected of you. We don't want that. So great, great answer. And you know, I love your story. And we didn't talk about this earlier, but when I was studying you, I came across 
uh, a really interesting fact that when you were starting to educate people on nutrition, you did whatever it took, meaning you actually went to Starbucks and you would lecture clients <laughs> at Starbucks, right? Oh, yeah. Where did that whatever it takes mindset come from? Did you get it from your parents or how did you adopt that? Ah, uh, yeah. I like to say I was like a born entrepreneur. <laughs> um, you know, even when I was like a kid, you'll see pictures of me. Like I, in Minnesota, instead of having a lemonade stand, I had like a, a fishing worm stand where I literally would always get res resourceful. So I think honestly, since I was a kid, it was always like make do with what I had. And when I actually began to help people with nutrition, like on my own, I started off in the clinical for a while, but I like actually wanted to do one-on-one -on -one coaching with people. The first, like he, you said, when I started, it was in a Starbucks and um, people just, they saw me, they saw that like I was living, breathing example for what I stand for, what I do. And honestly, that's where a lot of my clients have come from. They're like, this girl's got it figured out. She's got the body, she's got the mindset. And you know, that's the greatest compliment that I can ever get. So I would get people to come up to me and they'd be like, Rachel, can you help me, you know, with fitness? Can you help with nutrition? And this was before I was even in the world of functional medicine or doing any of that. And I was just like, well, sure. You know, I don't have like, I don't have like a whole practice. I don't have a, even an office space or anything, but let's just go meet at Starbucks. So I started to meet people at Starbucks and I started just to give them really, really great results. And I just tried to add as much value as I could. Well, guess what? That person referred to another person and now I have more clients and I'm having more Starbucks meetings. And like, before you know it, I'm like, I'm just literally having a whole office space in Starbucks. They're going to start charging me here now. So it was at that point where I was like, okay, I probably should get an office space. And I actually just started renting an office space out of a law firm, even for a while that um, I had family friends with who owned that office space. So I just started with what I had. And I think oftentimes we wait for everything to be perfect. We wait for the perfect office. We wait for the practice. We wait for everything to be perfect before we start. And how often do we see that in weight loss as well too? We see like, okay, I have this vacation coming up. I have this coming up. I'm going to, then I'm going to start. Then I'm going to start with my weight loss journey. And then I'm going to start getting healthy. But there is never the right time. I promise you that you just have to get started. You just have to go for it. You know, the same thing happened with me with my business. The same thing happens when it comes to losing weight. You literally just have to get started. And honestly, you don't have to have all of the puzzle pieces together. They will fall into place. And when I think we are stuck with a decision of where to go, like if I could give anybody advice who's listening, like just pick one and go because you will be redirected to the right way that you're supposed to go and maybe it's the wrong direction and you're redirected but the worst thing we can ever do is sit still and just wait ah well said it's better to go in the wrong direction because you're moving than it is to sit still uh brian tracy calls it someday island right someday i'll do this someday one day i'll do this it's that's where all the hopes and dreams are, are crushed perfectionism is just a fancy word for procrastinator you get started and you figure it out the rest of the way. Uh, I remember Bob Proctor, one of my mentors said, jump off the cliff, you know, metaphorically, and you'll develop the wings along the way. That's when you actually are forced to figure things out like you did, Rachel. How important is it to hire a coach to help guide you on where you need to go? 
I think we should all have a coach. If there's anything you want to truly excel in, you should work with an expert. I've had a coach for like just overall life coach when it comes to relationships. I've had a business coach. I've had my own health coach as well too. I'm someone where I want to continuously learn. And if I see someone who's doing it better than me, I want to learn from that person. Um, because it will save you time and money in the long run. I think oftentimes we look at it as just that cost. It's that exchange. I'm, I'm paying this person this much money and then I'm getting X in exchange, but we don't look at it as an investment. And you are the greatest investment you can ever make. The clients who I've helped, you know, in that four month period, transform their health, you know, get rid of sugar addiction, lose the weight, maybe not be at the perfect place they want to be yet. But the mental transformation, the confidence that they make, it literally impacts every area in their life. They're making more money, their relationships is better, and they've made this a lifestyle. It just wasn't a fad diet or a quick fix. And all of my clients have been like, this is the most incredible investment that I've ever done for myself. But I think too often we look at it as just that cost, as that exchange system. So it's like, do we have a cost mindset or do we have an investment type mindset? Um, because you are the only investment that you can ever make that will continue to give back to you again and again and again. So I'm all for having a, a coach, whether it be for any area of your life that you want to grow and improve in. Amen. I have several coaches as well. And uh, you said it, it's not an expense, it's an investment. And it's the best investment that you could ever make. You take decades of learning and you turn that into days. How can how else can you do that, right? At a coach is how you can do that. And if your coach does not have a coach, that's a red flag. Make sure your coach has a coach. That's important too. <laughs> yep. uh, I want to thank you, Rachel, for coming on the podcast, for the amazing work. You know, shout out to our, our mutual friend, uh, Kaylee, who connected us and she's doing amazing things. So I'm grateful for that. You have an awesome podcast, Sheer Madness Podcast, but where else can the listeners go check you out? You guys can follow me on Instagram. That's where I have my largest platform. It's at Rachel Shear. You can check out my practice, which is at Rachel Shear Nutrition. I have two. Um, and then if you want to learn a little bit more about my coaching, just visit rachelshear.com. So it's all my name, keeping it easy. Yeah, keeping it straightforward. We'll put all that in the podcast notes below. So we actually have a podcast notes person. Her name is Rachel too. So Rachel, the other Rachel, will put this together <laughs> for everybody. Yeah, it's a great name. So thank you for how you show up in this world and being so authentic and raw and sharing your story. And I'm, I'm grateful for our collaboration and also for future collaborations. So thank you so much, Rachel. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rachel Shear. She was a lot of fun, so knowledgeable, and now you are well equipped to understand your gut and how we want to build diversity. Listen to other episodes we have on the podcast about the gut to keep this conversation going and be sure to go check out Rachel Shear. We're going to add all of her resources and everything mentioned on today's episode can be found in the notes of this podcast. We have Rachel, who is not the same as Rachel Shear, a different Rachel, who puts it all together for you. And it's nice structure with links and everything you need. So go check out the notes. Go check out rachelshear.com. Go follow her on Instagram. Go see all the cool things she's up to. And if you got any value from this, or maybe this some, there's somebody you know who could really enjoy a conversation like this one, text it to them. Copy and paste the link. 
take a screenshot, tag me uh, at the Benazadi, tag Rachel Shear at Rachel Shear on Instagram and tag us both and put it on your stories. And when I see it, I'll share it on my stories. I want to thank you so much for listening to the show. Have a great day. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.